fire retardant was uh, dropped uh, right behind people's homes. Uh, yeah, it was quite amazing. As new wildfires spark, how one BC community dodged a bullet for now amid a new threat from strong winds. Plus, who wouldn't want their chance to help decide where our country goes from here? Canada is thrust into a snap pandemic election. What it means for BC and our one-on-one -on -one with one of the party leaders. And it is very tough seeing women and children right now suffering. Afghan Canadians in BC terrified for their family members and calling on Ottawa for answers amid the Taliban takeover. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. There is a lot to cover tonight from the wildfire situation in the B.C. interior to the federal election call and the role B.C. will play in the outcome. But first, an historic day overseas where there is a frantic scramble to get foreign nationals out of Afghanistan as the Taliban has entered the capital. We have extensive coverage, including from our Paul Johnson, who's reported from Afghanistan and who has the latest on today's stunning developments. There couldn't have been a more defining moment of finality than Afghan President Ashraf Ghani fleeing his own capital Sunday as the Taliban moved into Kabul, even into the presidential palace itself. Canada firmly condemns the escalating violence and we are heartbroken at the situation the Afghan people find themselves in today. Canada is now scrambling to get its embassy staff home safely. So far, that mission appears to be succeeding, though the way out for Afghans who worked for Canada is still unclear. Reports have already surfaced of some saying they and their families are stranded for now. With Canada's embassy closed and the Taliban poised to regain power, Canada's pledge to rescue them and bring in 20,000 more refugees is a promise still without a plan. While the Taliban's resurgence seems to have happened almost overnight, it's actually been more than a decade in the making. But the U.S.-led NATO forces could always prevail in any single battle with the Taliban. A long-term strategic defeat of the insurgency was probably impossible. When the U.S. pullout was finally announced for this summer, many Afghan army forces reverted to their centuries-old tradition of standing down or switching sides yet another foreign occupier was on the way out. Canada's military was involved in Afghanistan for 13 years, peaking with its charge of security operations in Kandahar province, the heartland of the Taliban. Go, go, go. All told, more than 40,000 Canadians served in Afghanistan. 165 were killed and 2,000 were wounded. On Canada's watch, more women and girls were able to get education and participate in public life. And Canada's running of the trauma hospital at Kandahar Airfield provided some of the best medical resources ever available there. As for establishing a durable democracy in the so-called graveyard of empires, that project is over. And we now see the results. Paul Johnson, Global News. 
And with their home country in chaos tonight, Afghan Canadians living in B.C. are worried for their future and for their family and friends overseas. NATO says it's helping keep Kabul airport open to facilitate evacuations, but thousands of people are stranded and fearing the Taliban will hunt them down. Kristen Robinson reports. So what I want you to do, Aryan, is uh, put each one of them in the bag. Mm -hmm. Sarah Zavar's children help her pack another dessert delivery order. This is Sarah Zafar and welcome to my YouTube cooking channel. After eight years of teaching cooking on YouTube and give everything a mix, the independent Afghan-Canadian and mother of three recently launched her dream of opening a restaurant with a home-based Afghan bakery. That makes me proud because I'm one of the Afghan female entrepreneurs from BC. Images of the life Zafar has built in Canada a far cry from what those in her home country are facing. It is very tough seeing women and children right now suffering. A scene of chaos at Kabul airport as thousands of Afghans, stranded and desperate for help, try to escape now that Taliban rule is a reality. We're just heartbroken. Zafar last spoke with her in-laws in Kabul before the Taliban takeover. We are praying for them uh, and we are hoping for the best. It's a very sad time, a sad chapter in our lives and the lives of many Afghans that are uh, living abroad right now, feeling the pain for their loved ones. BCIT student Hamid Khan, who helped organize Saturday's Vancouver rally against violence in Afghanistan, fears for his family back home including his sister, who was in school when the Taliban entered Kabul. Imagine having a dream. Imagine having um, a plan that when I grow up, when I finish high school, this is what I'm going to do. Imagine all that being washed right in front of your eyes. Canada has committed to resettling up to 20,000 Afghans, but with loved ones trapped, Khan and Zafar want to know what the plan is. All the borders are closed, the airport is shut down. How is this going to affect ASAP? Zafar knows how fortunate she is to have landed in Canada more than two decades ago. This is our Afghan flag, okay? Her attention now focused on those she left behind. I'm a Muslim, I don't want to be hopeless. We shouldn't be hopeless. We the biggest weapon to me right now is prayers. Kristen Robinson, Global News. And now to the wildfire situation in B.C. An heroic overnight battle by firefighters has helped save a small B.C. community from destruction, at least for now. Logan Lake has been spared from the Tremont Creek wildfire, but winds mean the situation could change quickly and threaten nearby communities. Amadagahi has more. With the Tremont Creek wildfire fast approaching, for a few hours Saturday night it appeared the district of Logan Lake was in trouble. What may have saved the town, perhaps now one of the most crucial victories against wildfire in the province this summer. We dodged a bullet yesterday. Uh, we had, didn't lose any structures in Logan Lake. Uh, it was quite the uh, firefight uh, that we had on. Uh, the re uh, fire retardant was uh, dropped uh, right behind people's homes. Uh, it was quite amazing. But Logan Lake and the surrounding areas are gearing up for perhaps another round of battle with fire being fueled well in the dry and windy conditions. So crews are working on the ground as well and being supported by our aerial resources there. Um, and then we've got structure protection that is also setting up in various areas on the fire, including Logan Lake and Tonkwa Lake areas. 
Meanwhile, there are many people potentially still in the line of fire if conditions push the flames north and east. Just outside the community of Savannah, structure protection officers are prepping these buildings in case of disaster. Thanks for your work, man. Yeah, thanks. Pretty darn vulnerable, pretty sad, you know, pretty, pretty nervous, pretty upset. Because, yes, there is a fire on all sides of me at this point in time. We're kind of a little island in the middle here. In this area, Mike Anderson has been calling for better collaboration with the B.C. Wildfire Service for years now. Well, I'm desperate to have B.C. try to straighten, you know, figure this out. Figure this out that the, the B.C. Wildfire Service needs assistance. They need assistance from people on the land. They need assistance from the First Nations who know the land. They need assistance from the local loggers, the local ranchers. And they just need to start accepting it. The Tremont Creek wildfire has grown to almost double the size it was on Friday and now sits at 65,000 hectares. If it circles back from Logan Lake on this ridge that goes over towards like Duffy Lake, Terry, Dominic, uh, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be hard to stop that. And, and access points are going to be trickier to get cattle out, for sure. And we're trying to save as many animals as possible. Um, there's, there's no question we're going we're gonna to suffer a pretty dramatic loss on this fire. Locals say this fire will change the landscape here and its impact, however bad it gets, will be with them long after the flames are out. Imadagahi, Global News. The White Rock Lake fire continues to threaten homes and property in the North Okanagan. For more, let's go to Global Okanagan's Darian Matassa-Fung, who's in the Tronson Road area of Vernon tonight. So, Darian, what's the situation there? Yes, thank you, Nitu. I'm on the north uh, east side of Okanagan Lake, directly across from the White Rock Lake wildfire. Now, obviously, the wind has changed. We can't see much of anything now, but earlier in the day, the wind was blowing more northerly, so we did get a clear, much more clearer view of the fire. We could see air bombers dropping retardant and, and water, as well as helicopters doing their water bucket runs. Now, I talked to some residents on this side of the lake this morning, and their obvious concerns for spot fires igniting. A lot of the spots that were burning in the last week have, are really smoking today with the wind. Vernon residents on Tronson Road have been watching the White Rock Lake wildfire continue to burn out of control just across Okanagan Lake. Chunks of, of embers and uh, a lot of spruce, burnt charred spruce needles. So all coming from across the lake. It's, uh, it's serious. It's scary. Winds up to 50 kilometers per hour were blowing all Sunday afternoon, increasing fire activity. We're seeing them start to pick up right now. Uh, they are supposed to be coming out of the south-southwest direction, so that would be sort of a north-northeast movement of the fire. What we're seeing actually kind of locally over the fire is pretty strong westerlies. And then right along Okanagan Lake, they're actually kind of starting to blow down south, so a bit of topographical influence. The fire is now 62,000 hectares, around 40 square kilometers larger than Saturday's update. Air tankers and helicopters have been very busy this afternoon on the east flank. We sort of strategically placed our crews, heavy equipment, aerial resources throughout the fire. So we've had air tankers working on the southeast corner uh, all this morning. Most likely you could see some skimmer action after they're done this afternoon. And then our equipment and crews are you know, poised to move wherever they need to be. We're predicting this to be a fairly dynamic situation once we have those very strong winds moving over this fire. 
Officials are expecting the flames to be active on the northeast flank of the fire throughout the next couple of days. There are over 350 personnel working on the blaze. Now, looking ahead, the B.C. Wildfire Service says the south flank of the fire near Frintree area is expect they're expected to see a lot of growth growth in that area. Obviously, the extremely strong winds are pushing north are going to be challenging crews along the northwest, north and northeast flanks of the fire as well. Me too. All right, Darian, there's an eerie hue behind you there from those wildfires and that smoke. Stay safe out there. Thank you so much for your reporting tonight. And we have breaking news. A new wildfire is burning above Peachland. We're told it was spotted around 5 o'clock. No word yet if any structures are threatened. Wildfire crews and West Kelowna firefighters are responding. The B.C. Wildfire Service says the flames are about two kilometers north of Highway 97. We'll bring you more information as soon as we get it. A new evacuation order was issued last night for Lytton. All areas in red have been asked to leave immediately. The Mohawkwam Creek fire burning south of Lytton is flaring up significantly because of high winds. Much of Lytton was destroyed at the end of June by the devastating Lytton Creek blaze. And near Prince George, several structures have been destroyed by the lightning-sparked Cutoff Creek wildfire, which has burned more than 31,000 hectares. Hot, dry conditions and westerly winds continue to challenge the firefight while smoke is highly visible from Vanderhoof. An evacuation order has been extended for areas along the west end of Frank Lake and across Kluskis Forest Road. And the Pine River wildfire continues to burn alongside Highway 97 between Chetwind and Mackenzie. The out-of-control fire erupted Friday in the Pine Pass and has since grown to more than 2,000 hectares. It's burning parallel to BC Hydro's 500-kilovolt transmission line, part of the backbone of the provincial grid. So far, no BC Hydro structures appear to be damaged. And turning now to the election, Canadians are heading to the polls on September 20th. Justin Trudeau met with Governor General Mary Simon on Sunday to dissolve Parliament, kicking off five weeks of campaigning. The Liberal Party leader criticized other party leaders over concerns of holding the election amid the pandemic. So to the other parties, please explain why you don't think Canadians should have the choice, why you don't think that this is a pivotal moment because I'm focused on our real plan. I'm focused on the path forward with Canadians. This election is not about the next week, the next month, or even the next year. It's about the next four years. It's about who will deliver the economic recovery Canada needs. It's about who will take action to protect Canadians from spiraling living costs, from rising taxes, from poorer services. For the past six years, we've been promised solutions, and year after year after year, Justin Trudeau has let the Canadian people down. We are the only party saying very clearly there is a third option, which is to make the ultra-rich pay their fair share. Companies like Amazon, which make record profits in this pandemic, do pay virtually no taxes in Canada. We can stop that. We can make sure they pay their fair share and invest that back in people. And for more on the role B.C. could play in this election, let's go to our Legislative Bureau Chief Keith Baldry in Victoria. So, Keith, what should British Columbians be keeping an eye on? 
Well, keep an eye on the lack of public interest in this campaign, Nidu. Uh, certainly, I think, until after Labor Day. Uh, Justin Trudeau very strategically called this in the dog days of summer, knowing it's going to be very hard for his opponents to get a lot of political oxygen, to get a lot of media coverage that are actually being followed by the public. Having said that, though, you haven't said that, uh, you've just heard some of the messaging we're going to get from our leaders. Justin Trudeau wants a majority government. The road to that, the path to victory there lies through uh, winning a number of ridings away from the NDP or close fights with the Conservatives. He needs to widen his base and appeal to sort of the center-left voter base out there and get some of those votes from the New Democrats. So he's going to be using the words like progressive, talking about health care and climate change. And that's the message from Justin Trudeau as he tries to craft a majority government. Here he is this morning. So two Canadians, I'm asking you to vote for real progressive leadership, for strong health care, for affordable homes, for a clean and protected environment. Make your voice heard, have your say, and together, let's move forward for everyone. So again, B.C. could deliver or deny the Liberals a majority government. There's 42 ridings in B.C. About 14 of them are considered to be locks by one party or another. Uh, again, you're not, you're not going to see the Conservatives lose some of their northern ridings or the NDP lose uh, Vancouver East, for example, or, or the Liberals losing Hetty Fry in the centre. But there are a number of battleground ridings, so about 10 of them. I chose five tonight to take a closer look at. Port Moody, uh, Coquitlam was really a three-way fight, barely won by the Conservatives or the NDP and the Liberals last time. Vancouver Granville, very much up in the air. Jody Wilson-Raybould won handily last time, but she's not running this time. Look for that to be a two-way fight between the Liberals and the Conservatives. Burnaby North Seymour narrowly won by the Liberals in 2019. The NDP has a very good chance there. Provincially, they own that territory. Also, Cloverdale-Langley City, a narrow Conservative win there, could favor the Liberals because that's where the SkyTrain extension is going. Big bucks being spent there. And finally, Coquitlam, poor Coquitlam, another narrow Liberal win over the Conservatives last time. We'll be taking a look uh, these battleground writings from time to time over the campaign. We're just getting started. As I say, there's probably about 10 of them out there, perhaps even a little more. But again, I don't expect public interest to ramp up much in this campaign uh, for some time yet. And you do, again, COVID-19 and the Delta variant seems to be very much at the top of the news rather than, and along with wildfires, rather than this election campaign. Everybody has a lot going on right now, indeed. All right, thanks mm -hmm. so much for that, Keith. And I spoke with Tory leader Aaron O'Toole in a one-on-one -on -one interview earlier today. We'll have more on that later in the show. But first, some local news. One man has been injured and is in hospital after a shooting outside an Earl's restaurant in Surrey. RCMP say it happened just after 1 o'clock this morning. Crews arrived to find a man suffering from gunshot wounds. He's now being treated for his injuries. Police are calling it a targeted incident. Although there's no details on whether it's tied to the ongoing Lower Mainland gang conflict, the area was blocked off for several hours but has since reopened. And a stabbing last night near Hastings Street at Kensington Avenue in Burnaby has left one victim in hospital. Just before midnight, police responded to reports of a stabbing outside of a gas station. Burnaby RCMP confirmed one youth victim was taken to hospital with stab wounds. A canine and a police helicopter were on scene. A short while later, a suspect was located nearby and taken into custody. The area was closed for several hours as police investigated and it has since reopened. 
The Vancouver Aquarium is set to reopen to the public tomorrow after being closed for more than a year due to financial problems brought on in part by the pandemic. It is under new ownership, an American group that also owns the Dollywood theme park and the Harlem Globetrotters. And as Grace Key reports, the aquarium has a bit of a new look. It's for checking off the fish that I see. Five-year-old Oliver is so excited to be back at the Vancouver Aquarium, he made a list. Jellyfish, dogfish, seaweed. As families wait anxiously outside, inside staff have been busy for weeks making sure everything is just right. This weekend is the big reopening for members and on Monday for the general public. Yeah, go ahead. The aquarium shut its doors for 17 months during the pandemic. There was a chance it would never open again until new owners took over. So to finally welcome guests back has been emotional. In many ways, it's a relief. You know, it's, it's, um, there really was a chance that the aquarium would not be here in, in the future. And so to be able to bring that back, to be able to um, sort of help people and um, bring work, employment to those people, those very talented people, to for the animals, for the people that are coming back. It's, uh, yeah, we're back and uh, we've got the doors open. There will be some new additions. The new film, Octopus, will be featured at the 40 Theatre. A marine mammal rescue exhibit showcases the aquarium's work. Quatsi is the newest addition. Rescued off Port Hardy, she was separated from her mother. Hopefully it's going to feel like you've come to a, to a world-class aquarium again, and I think that that's really important. We want to bring it back again uh, to that level where we have a reputation for being one of the best in the world, and we, ne we need to show that. And so we're at that point right now, and it's really a first step. To help manage capacity, a new online reservation has guests scheduled time slots. With nearly 65,000 creatures, everyone has their favorites. Penguin. Shark. The jellyfish. Sea otter. Penguin. So there's no time to waste. Let's go, let's go. Okay. Grace Key, Global News. Oh, they're too cute. All right, ahead on the news hour, 12 people are rescued from a sinking boat in B.C. Plus, the summer safety campaign targeting boaters and how to avoid a fine on the water. Two Bella Coola drowning victims have been identified as a Victoria couple celebrating their 10th anniversary. Andrea and Cameron Murdoch traveled to Bella Coola where they hired a boat and guide and headed out on the Bella Coola River on Tuesday morning. Just before noon, police were called to an empty, partially capsized boat. Rescuers launched a frantic search. At 7.30, Cameron's body was found. He was 42 years old. Andrea is missing and presumed dead. She was 51. The family is thanking rescuers for their efforts. A frightening incident this afternoon when a boat with 12 people on board sank just off Gabriola Island. The Joint Rescue Coordination Center says three Coast Guard vessels responded to the call that came in around 1.30 this afternoon. All on board were safely rescued before the vessel went down near Pilot Bay. No word at this point on where the boat was from or whether it was a commercial or pleasure craft. Also no word on what caused the boat to take on water. And still ahead, an intensifying search for survivors. The latest from Haiti as the death toll rises and crews scramble to find people trapped in the rubble after Saturday's devastating earthquake. Plus, a Sir John A. Macdonald statue is toppled in an Ontario park. How it happened after a controversial council vote. 
700 people are now believed to have died in the powerful 7.2 magnitude earthquake that struck Haiti on Saturday. Local government officials say thousands of others have been injured. The Canadian nonprofit CMAT now has a small assessment team on the ground in the city of Lake High. The island nation is still recovering from the devastation of another quake 11 years ago. Haiti is also struggling with the pandemic, an economic crisis and political turmoil following the assassination of the Haitian president earlier this summer. We're really encouraging teams to not come down right now. This is not like 2010. The, uh, the safety concerns may be different. The security needs may be different. And, and we don't want to put everyone at risk. In Lake High, churches, hotels, hospitals and schools have been badly damaged or destroyed. Bad weather is heading to the region too. Tropical storm Grace is due to bring heavy rainfall on Monday, along with a risk of flash flooding. A statue of Sir John A. Macdonald has been toppled by demonstrators in Hamilton, Ontario. There had been recent calls for its removal after a rally at City Hall in support of Hamilton's Indigenous community. Those in attendance were protesting a vote by council to keep the statue in place. Sir John A. Macdonald was Canada's first prime minister and many have argued the structure acts as a reminder of the forcible removal of Indigenous children from their homes and saying Macdonald is partially responsible. And coming up next, enjoying the waters without breaking the law. The same rules apply on the water as they do on the roads, so you have to take it seriously. The annual Project Wave highlights the biggest mistakes voters make that could cost them more than a fine. The special stories that shape our province, as suggested by our viewers. This is BC with Jay Durant. Real people, real stories on Global News Hour at 6. Brought to you in part by Fortis BC, BC's energy solutions provider. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. A lot of the public are unaware that the same rules apply on the water as they would on the road. How the annual Project Wave is stressing water safety just ahead. But first, let's check in with meteorologist Yvonne Shell now for a look at the forecast. Yvonne, much clearer here than it is in some other parts of the province, at least now. Yeah, we're still seeing widespread smoke, uh, especially for the interior. We've had a nice break through the day today. And we're actually going to see a bit of a reprieve for the southern half of the province. And we do have the chance for some accumulating rainfall. Here's what it looks like right now overlooking English Bay. Temperatures today, um, a much different weather story. We bumped up to 24. We're sitting at 23. And We've got a mainly cloudy sky and easterly wind light right now at nine kilometers per hour. Here's the air quality health index, which has dropped significantly. We're sitting anywhere between two to three. So there has been an improvement right across the board for Metro Vancouver, but we're still seeing it high. And we can see that across the northern Okanagan and areas near Kamloops also sitting closer to nine and ten across the central Okanagan have seen a bit of an improvement. We may see less smoke over the next few days, and I'll show you the reason in just a moment. Quick update on what it looks like from the current smoke. This is a great shot that's taken from NASA and the Smoky Skies Bulletin still right across the board and extending into the southeastern corners of the province. Fire danger rating, a reminder, we're sitting at high to extreme. It's been hot, dry. So if you are outdoors, please be very diligent. Now we've got a frontal system that's pushing across the province. We did have a severe thunderstorm watch for the central interior that has been lifted. We're still seeing a few lightning strikes popping up across the region, but this frontal system that is sweeping across the province will bring us a nice change on the way. 
bit of a reprieve for many areas. What we're anticipating, especially late this evening, is an increase in cloud cover. We'll look at a chance of showers along the south coast for tomorrow morning, and then some instability is going to pop up, and that's also going to push in towards the eastern half of the province. What we'll see for tomorrow, late evening and overnight for Metro Vancouver, the risk of thunderstorms and areas in towards the interior for both Monday and Tuesday with the chance of showers. The instability for the interior will also be on Monday with the risk of thunderstorms. Now, the northern half of the province still remaining dry underneath a partly cloudy sky, a risk of thunderstorms, some lightning for the northeastern corners, dry across the central interior tomorrow. Areas towards the south is where we'll see that instability, but a nice drop in temperatures tomorrow just into the mid and upper 20s. So the risk of thunderstorms right across the board and still seeing the chance of showers for Tuesday, the southern interior 5 and potentially up to 10 millimeters of rainfall. Along the south coast, we'll start to see that shower activity moving or popping up in the morning hours. The instability, though, will be late evening, overnight, leading in towards our Tuesday. We could see some smoke once again across Metro Vancouver, so a heads up, that'll be late Tuesday and leading in towards our Wednesday, and we're back into a partly cloudy sky. Nithu? All right. Thanks so much, Yvonne. Police and ICBC are working together in North Vancouver today to promote safety on the water. RCMP reminding boaters using the Cates Park boat launch that the same rules of the road apply to vessels. Project Wave is North Vancouver's annual boating safety awareness event and targets pleasure craft operators enjoying Indian Arm. In addition to wearing a life jacket, taking a boating course and preparing your vessel with the required safety equipment, boating sober is a key message when it comes to impaired operation of a conveyance. So if an operator on a, on a motor vessel was uh, operating while impaired, the same sort of consequences would be implemented as they would on the road and potentially they would end up losing their license for an extended period of time, which would prevent them from not only op- operating a motor vessel but also their own vehicle. Hey, Greg, checking, making sure everybody's got all their safety stuff, right? We don't want any accidents. Yeah. It's all good. The education campaign runs parallel to ICBC's drinking driving counterattack. Every year in our province, an average of 67 people are killed in impaired driving crashes. And we do see tragedy on the waters all too often as well. Can't repeat that safety message enough. All right, Barry's here now for a look at what's coming up in sports. Barry, it must have been a busy day for you as well. It was great. Well, we referenced it yesterday. Yvonne's golfing pal, Roger Sloan. When was it, Yvonne? About uh, five, (laughs) six years ago, you guys taped those golf tips out at uh, Bear Mountain in Victoria. Mm -hmm. He wasn't on the PGA Tour then. Nope. He literally came this close to winning his first PGA Tour event today. But it was mission accomplished. He retained his card Great clutch performance uh, by Roger, I think, thanks to you, maybe in part. You <laughs> must have calmed him all those years back. <laughs> so we have, tips. <laughs> we'll have highlights of all that coming up. Yvonne, maybe you can teach me your thing or two. I absolutely okay. can, but Perfect. Barry's actually the pro out of all of us. <laughs> we'll save that for another time. Right now, though, ahead, we'll have highlights of our one-on-one with Aaron O'Toole. I won't be the ethics-plagued scandal-ridden cover-up government of Justin Trudeau. In order to be accountable, Mr. O'Toole, this is a very basic question. What the Conservative leader is promising on the first day of the federal election campaign right after the break. And more now on today's federal election call. Earlier today, I had a one-on-one interview with Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole about what his party is promising for British Columbians and other key issues. My thoughts are with the families impacted by the 
the fires in British Columbia. The, the province, the people of BC need a federal partner who will be ready, that will work and stand by them. The Conservative Party, we, we will be with you and we'll help lead. We're going to have a, a serious plan to work with provinces and municipalities on supply, stop the, the, the foreign inflation we're seeing by non-resident buyers and even money laundering in the lower mainland. We have to have a serious approach to also help first-time home buyers. We can't allow a generation to just give up on home ownership and we need to make sure that rent is not pricing people out of the ability to work and to, to work not far from where they live. Let's talk about the campaign in these very early stages. Your party's so-called Willy Wonka ad with a cutout of Mr. Trudeau's face pasted on the body of a female actor has drawn criticism for being sexist and misogynist. Did you approve that ad? Well, look, we have to have a serious talk, and that, that's what we're doing starting today. We're talking about our recovery. It's, it is tragic that we're having an election in the fourth wave of the pandemic. I think it's inappropriate that Mr. Trudeau is launching this election, but we will talk about that in a serious way as we try and recover. Um, but people are frustrated especially, as you, as you know, parts of British Mr. Columbia. Mr. O'Toole, I apologize for interrupting. Outbreaks. We're viewing that campaign ad, which is the basis of my question. Again, did you approve that ad? Look, every way we're trying to communicate will be positive and effective. And with things happening online, there's a lot of ways that humor are used. But I'm the leader. I'm responsible for everything. I will be accountable. I won't be the ethics plagued, scandal-ridden, cover-up government of Justin Trudeau. In so order to be accountable, to Mr. O'Toole, this is a very basic question on whether or not you approve that ad that members of your own caucus have said they wouldn't have done so. Matthew, I am the leader. I'm responsible for our plan. I'm responsible for all decisions. So, Mr. O'Toole, why are you requiring media traveling with you to be vaccinated while not requiring the candidates running with your party to do the same? Well, in the last month and a half, Nithu, we've been traveling for the first time. I've been opposition leader for almost a year, and we haven't been traveling to respect all health rules, even though for several months I've been double vaccinated. The folks that are with me on that team in those close, confined situations, we need to follow the highest levels of making sure that there's no spread. Mr. O'Toole, people have questioned your ability to unite your party on key issues, including mandatory vaccinations and climate change. Climate change and fighting is important. And, and think about the wildfires in British Columbia. We need to be more resilient. And this is an issue that transcends politics for me. I talk about climate change with my 15-year-old daughter. She wants us to have a plan. We have a plan that will make Paris targets but also get the economy moving again. Last year, you were forced to walk back your comments saying the residential school system was intended to, quote, provide education. What have you done since then to ensure you're helping Canadians understand the country's true history of forced assimilation? Reconciliation is core to me. It was my first question as opposition leader. And I've spoken to the chiefs in, in Kamloops, in, in other parts of the country that have had those horrible reminders of that terrible chapter in our past from the residential schools. Speaking to so those leaders ask, does not erase the fact that less than a year ago, you called these assimilation institutions a source of education being provided. That is not what I said. But what we have to do is make sure when we have difficult conversations about our past, that we do that in a way that's respectful. And I'm going to make sure I do that. Reconciliation, Nithu, actually means reconciling our past, where we failed, 
and trying to make sure we do not fail today. We heal and learn from it. And for our full extended interview with Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole, you can go to our website at globalnews.ca. And coming up on the news hour, the self-proclaimed stubborn baker. To get to this point, there was quite a few people that didn't think that I could do it. How she continues to break barriers and follow her dreams after a life-altering accident. Next. BC's booming brewery scene is threaded together with 20 ale trails, taking you from urban patios to farm fields across the province. Located on the northern BC ale trail, Sherwood Mountain Brewhouse and Terrace is a great place to relax after a day exploring the beauty of the area. Vancouver Island is home to three ale trails, and a visit to Canada's oldest operating brew pub, Spinnakers, in Victoria is a must. Growing their own hops, Fraser Valley's craft breweries are proving fresh is best. Taste for yourself at Fieldhouse Brewing in East Abbotsford. Brought to you by Destination BC. Plan your summer getaway at explorebc.com. All right, it's been an extremely busy day in the newsroom, also busy in sports. Barry, where do you want to begin? Yeah, I want to start with golf. It was a, it was a fun day watching uh, Roger Sloan uh, do his thing today in North Carolina. Thanks very much, Nithu. Uh, Roger Sloan is probably a little bit disappointed he didn't win his first ever PGA Tour event today, but the 34-year-old from Merritt played clutch championship golf with his tour card on the line this week at the Wyndham Championship. He rallied late in his round today to get into a six-way playoff and had a putt to win it all, but ended up tied for second. The great news, though, he got enough FedEx points for the second-place finish to book his ticket to the playoffs next week and keep his tour card with full privileges for another year. Sloan looking very relaxed and confident, embracing that pressure. Had a strong start, birdied the second, and then rolls in the 13-footer here at number four, got it to 13-under, and was just one off the lead. Next hole, reached the par five and two. Eagle putt wasn't great, but sunk the seven-footer for birdie right here, and he remained just one back. But he bogeyed 12, had a bit of a birdie drought for about 10 holes, but at 16, this kick-started a strong finish. Eight iron from 160 yards, plays the slope beautifully. This course, a lot of slopes. you got to put it to the right side of the hole, and he got it to within eight feet, and then he will calmly knock that in for birdie to get back to 14 under, and again, one shot with the, from the lead. Next hole, after a perfect drive, put him middle fairway. Sloan will stuff his approach shot to five feet. He has been very dialed in with his scoring irons the past few weeks, putting multiple shots within five feet. Great shot there, and finishes the job as he rolls in his fifth birdie of the day, Roger, four under 66, and he's tied for the lead at 15 under par. Now, it looked like it would be a five-man playoff, but South African Brandon Grace on the 18th from 28 feet for birdie. Has to make this to join the playoff, and that is pretty good right there. Six men ties for the largest in PGA history. Sloan, Kevin Na, Kevin Kistner, Adam Scott, Brandon Grace, and Siwoo Kim all in the playoff. Sloan the only one in that group who's yet to win an event on the PGA Tour. They play 18 as the first playoff hole. Sloan's approach slings a six iron from 180. What a shot there again playing the slope very nicely, gets it to 12 feet. 
Adam Scott did get his within four feet, but they were the only two to make the green. So Sloan right here has a chance to put the pressure on Scott. This is for birdie. Does he get it high enough? Just ducks at the final seconds, not enough steam on it, so it's a par for Sloan. So now Scott has a four-footer for the win, but he pulls it, and everyone made par on the first playoff hole. Sloan had his chance, didn't he? So they'll go to the second playoff hole. They play 18 again. This time, Kevin Kissner has a four-footer for the win, and he doesn't miss. Kisner wins the Wyndham. Sloan, oh so close to that first PGA Tour win, but mission accomplished, qualifies for the playoffs, keeps his tour card. So it will be four Canadians taking part in the FedEx Cup playoffs next week, led by Corey Connors, who's in the top 30. Mackenzie Hughes is in at 67. Sloan moved up 39 spots from 131 to 92. Adam Hadwin also in the top 100. Hadwin and Nick Taylor both finished tied for 10th at the Wyndham this week, but Nick fell just short of the top 125. Won't make the playoffs, but since he won at Pebble Beach in February 2020, his tour card is secure until 2023. So they'll tee it up at the Northern Trust. Top 70 will advance on from there. So Sloan and Hadwin have work to do to keep on playing in the playoffs. Well, it was a feel-good story when he made the team out of training camp, but after two subpar performances, kicker Takeru Yamasaki has been released by the Lions. He was the first Japanese-born player to ever score a point in the CFL, but he just wasn't good enough to stick around. Yamasaki was impressive at training camp, but he was just four for eight in field goals in the first two games. He missed short ones and very makeable ones. In a 14-game season, the Lions just don't have the wiggle room to be patient with the young Japanese kicker. We're not sure who, but they will have a new kicker Thursday versus the Elks at BC Place. All right, Blue Jays and Mariners, George Springer not playing. His ankle, though, just a slight sprain. They're hopeful he can be back by the end of the week. Injured it in a collision with the center field wall last night. Jays salvaged the final game of their weekend series. To Oscar Hernandez remains red, red hot. Solo shot there is 20th, ties it at one. Later in the second, Randall Grichuk also goes deep. A laser to left, his 20th. The Jays have five players with 20 or more home runs. Guerrero, Semyon, Bichette, Grichuk, and Hernandez. Alejandro Kirk gets into it. Two-out double inside the bag at third. The Jays had been horrible in this series with runners in scoring position, but they finally come through today. It's 5-1, to one, and then Marcus Semyon will hit another home run. The Jays' fourth of the day as they win it 8-3. to three. They remain four and a half games behind Boston in the wild card. They have tomorrow off and will open a series in Washington Tuesday. Opening weekend of the Premier League concluding today. No Harry Kane for Tottenham, who are at home to Manchester City. Son Hung Min with the fancy moves and unloads a low bullet inside the far post. Great goal from Son as the Spurs knock off the defending champs 1-0. Women's final in Montreal. Italy's Camilla Giorgi has played the best tennis of her career this week, taking on Karolina Pliskova, the Czech Republic. Georgie isn't big, but she uh, smacks the ball. Great point construction here. Sets up the forehand winner. And Camilla Georgie wins the biggest tournament of her career. Jumped 37 spots in the rankings from 71 to 34. In women's doubles, Canada's Gabriela Dabrowski won the final with her Brazilian partner. And Daniel Medvedev won the men's event in Toronto. And we'll finish with Canadian elite basketball from Abbotsford. Fraser Valley Bandits, Guelph Nighthawks in a sudden death quarter final. Bandits took all the drama out of this playoff game early. Big man Brandon Gilbeck with the jam. Two of his game high 26. 
58-35 Bandits at the half. Vancouver's own LeVon Kendall, a Vancouver's own LeVon Kendall. Beautiful fadeaway shot as the clock uh, runs down. Kendall had nine points. And the target score for the Elam ending was 104. And it's big Shaq Keith who seals it. 104-84 the final. Fraser Valley going to the championship weekend in Edmonton for the final four. They'll meet Niagara River in the semis on Friday night. So they're two wins away from a CEBL championship. And a lot of fans in Abbotsford really loving the Bandits. So close they are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Thanks very much, Barry. And coming up, how Vancouver's stubborn baker has cooked up a career after a life-altering accident. suffered a life-altering injury in her teens, is not giving up on her dream gig. In tonight's This is BC, Jay Durant shows us how Jessica Kruger continues to defy stereotypes as the stubborn baker. What kind of cake is it? Chocolate mint. It's the perfect business name for somebody who's always been so resilient. Jessica Kruger is the stubborn baker, and sales are good these days. To get to this point, there was quite a few people that didn't think that I could do it or should do it. A fall from a ladder when she was 15 left her with a broken neck and a damaged spinal cord. There were some terrifying moments during those initial years. She actually had a collapsed lung and pneumonia and was on life support at 17 and we actually didn't think she was going to make it. But this is how Jessica responded, living her new life to the fullest, taking up everything from sit skiing to wheelchair rugby. It's hard to find an activity she hasn't tried. Just sort of throwing myself into every opportunity that I can find since that day, I guess, just because I don't want to miss out on anything just because of a physical limitation. Our winner to represent something sweet is Jessica. And she won a modeling contest in 2013, becoming the face of Elise Watier perfume. For a brief moment, she didn't think somebody in a wheelchair stood a chance. It still all feels pretty surreal. I kind of just got on board with the fact that I maybe could be one of the first and I could help change people's perceptions of what that might look like. Despite rejections from a couple of local baking schools that wouldn't accommodate her, Jessica never gave up on this dream, eventually graduating from Vancouver Community College. Her creations now are brilliant, all kinds of masterpieces posted on her Instagram account as well as a little behind the scenes to show everyone that she's capable of a lot more than people might think. I had to sort of channel that inner stubbornness to make things work and yeah, I like to look at it as sort of the reason that I am here today is because I had that stubbornness. Jay Durant, Global News. This is BC with Jay Durant, brought to you in part by Fortis BC, BC's energy solutions provider. Another inspiring story by Jay. Incredible stuff. Uh, also good to see some positive changes in some regions of the province on the weather front, Yvonne. Yeah, a chance for some showers. We'll see that in towards the interior as well. Five and potentially up to ten millimeters, and it'll be a touch cooler. A nice reprieve out there as well. All right, sounds good. We have extensive coverage of the snap pandemic election online on globalnews.ca. Jordan Armstrong will be here for Global News at 11. Thanks so much for joining us all. Take care.